Well, good morning, Athens First United Methodist Church. You passed the test. We were seeing how long we, you would wait until you started singing a cappella, but you didn't. You did well, and so we, we made it through. Thank you, uh, Wesleyan Youth Choir. Can we show them some love this morning? It is a beautiful thing anytime that our, our Wesleyan Youth Choir uh, leads us in worship. It's a beautiful thing when, when we get to celebrate Scout Sunday. So thanks to all of our scouts and their leaders for being here this morning. And thank you to you for being here this morning because I realize when you look outside this morning, it is not the most picture-perfect day to come to church. It is one of those rainy, dreary, cold, gross days where most of us want to just crawl under the covers and stay in bed and so uh, but instead you said no I'm coming to church today and so I am grateful to be here with you because um, today you might even say is a, a super Sunday <laughs> for all the reasons that we mentioned earlier but it's also because this afternoon we have a little bit of a football game that I hope some of you are going to uh, watch. Now, I have mentioned to you over the course of the last couple of weeks that I have been a lifelong Philadelphia Eagles fan. Um, I don't know if that's a confession that I need to make or whatever, because I know that Philadelphia Eagles fans aren't the most Christian and Christ-like, but nevertheless, uh, it is what I was born into, and, um, and so I, I have tried really hard not to be obnoxious about it. Um, I, I didn't want to come in this morning wearing like a green stole or something like that. I didn't want to do that. That is until, of course, I started getting text messages from some of you. Apparently, we have some Kansas City Chiefs fans in our congregation, and we've even had people who on Wednesday night at Wednesday Night Supper wanted to wear their Kansas City Chiefs sweatshirts and so um, I just wanted you to know I'm not going to be obnoxious about it I'm not going to wear a green stole this morning but underneath this robe <laughs> I need you to know that <laughs> so may the best team win this morning, I also want you to know that, uh, that we've, we've had to make a couple of um, last-minute audibles uh, in, in terms of worship this morning. Uh, I got a, a text from Ryan last night, our director of music, and he said, I just want to let you know we've got some people that are out in the choir. Uh, they're sick, and so we, 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 we've had to call some audibles this morning. Uh, as soon as he sent me that, I sent him a text, and I just let him know, I'm ready. If you need a last-minute solo or something, just let me know. He never responded, which was weird. Uh, but I also uh, called an audible as I was working on the sermon for this week. Uh, because as you may know, we've been in this sermon series for the past six weeks. It's called Re uh, Rediscovering Jesus. And, and we're coming to the culmination. We're coming to the final week. And on Friday, I'm working on this sermon about a controversy story in chapter 2 of Mark where Jesus is explaining why his disciples don't fast. And it just wasn't coming together. 
I mean, not that it was bad, it was just that I realized that this was not the punctuation mark that this series needed. There was something else that we needed to focus on because what we've been talking about for six weeks is the identity of Jesus. We've been talking about who he is and and what he was about and what it means for us to be his followers. And so this morning, instead of reading a story from Mark chapter 2, I want us to skip ahead just a few chapters in Mark, and I want us to read a story from Mark chapter 6. It's a story that many of you will be familiar with. It's a story that is featured in uh, all of the synoptic gospels. It is a story that features Jesus walking on water. And so I want us to read, starting with the 45th verse of chapter 6, hear how Mark tells this story. So immediately, Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go on ahead to the other side, to Bethsaida, while he dismissed the crowd. After saying farewell to them, Jesus then went up to a mountain to pray. When evening came, the boat was out on the Sea of Galilee, And he was alone on the land. And when he saw that they were straining against the oars, against an adverse wind, he came towards them early in the morning, walking on the water. Jesus intended to pass them by. But when they saw him walking on the sea, they thought it was a ghost, and they cried out, for all of them saw him, and they were terrified. But immediately Jesus spoke to them and said, Take courage, It is I, do not be afraid. Then he got into the boat with them, and the winds ceased, and they were utterly astounded, for they did not understand about the loaves, but their hearts were hardened. This is the word of God for the people of God. So from the very first week of this series, Literally from the very first sermon, one of the things that I have noted over and over and over again is that the predominant question in the Gospel of Mark, the overarching and I would say defining question in Mark's Gospel is, who is this man? That is a question that gets asked by just about every crowd who watches Jesus perform a miracle. It gets asked by all of the religious authorities anytime Jesus says something or does something that they don't like. It's even a question that gets asked by Jesus' own disciples anytime he does something that makes them go, whoa, how did he just do that? This is the recurring question in the Gospel of Mark. But it is also, I would argue, kind of the underlying theme to all of the stories about Jesus that Mark wants to tell us. Because one thing that you notice about Jesus in the Gospel of Mark is the fact that nobody can figure this guy out. I mean, everybody is scratching their heads whenever he he shows up and he starts speaking or teaching or, or performing these miracles. They can't figure him out. They can't figure out if this guy's a magician or a miracle worker, if if he's a, a prophet or just a mere preacher, if he's some kind of ordinary rabbi, or if he's somebody who's getting ready to lead a rebellion. They can't tell if maybe his identity is something more than any of them can even fathom. Throughout the Gospel of Mark, whenever he's telling us a story, The question that he wants to help us answer is, who is this 
man. And I think that is especially the case in the story we just read from Mark chapter 6. Because one of the things that Mark tells us at the very beginning of this story is that this miracle, this walking on the water, it comes at the end of a really long day of ministry. In fact, the story that comes just before this one is the story of Jesus feeding the 5,000. So it's Jesus and his disciples, and there's bread, and there's, there's feeding, and there's all these thousands of people. And so you can imagine that not only was it starting to get late by the time that the miracle was over, but the disciples, they were probably tired. They had been up early, they had been working all day, and so they probably were feeling their tanks running dry. And so Jesus comes to the disciples and he says, all right, guys, listen up. This is what we're going to do. Um, I'm, I'm going to stick around for a little while because I want to spend some prayer time up on that mountain. So I'm going to go and pray, but you, I want you to get in the boat and I want you to go across to the other side of the Sea of Galilee and I will meet you there. When you get to Bethsaida, I promise I will meet you there, but go ahead, get in the boat and go across. The disciples said, great, sounds like a plan. So they get in the boat, and they probably figured that they would be on the other side of the Sea of Galilee in a very short amount of time. Little did they know that their night was just beginning. Because according to Mark, uh, as soon as they got about halfway across the Sea of Galilee, there was this storm that came brewing up unexpectedly. And just the way that he describes this, this storm, like the wind and all of the ferocity of this storm, you can tell that this was no minor squall. This wasn't just like some kind of passing rain shower, like the one that we had this morning, or like a, like a summer thunderstorm that, that shows up one minute, is gone the next. No, this was the kind of storm that lasted all night long. And so you can imagine what the uh, disciples must have felt as they get in this boat and they're crossing the sea and, and they're dealing with this all night long. In fact, in the King James Version of this story, uh, one of the things that Mark says is that the disciples were battling the storm until the fourth watch of the night. Now, the fourth watch, if you're not familiar, that was somewhere between the hours of 3 a.m. and 6 a.m., <laughs> So you can imagine just how exhausting this was for them. I mean, in your mind's eye, can you picture these 12 disciples in this boat crossing the sea? There's wind and there's waves and there's water crashing over the sides. They are, they are spent. They are tired. But most of all, they are afraid. Because this is one of those storms where they're not sure what's going to happen. And they're not sure how long it's going to last. In fact, I remember back in September, I, uh, I, I called my parents uh, one afternoon just to check up on them, uh, because if you remember in late September, uh, down on the west coast of Florida, uh, they got hit with a Category 5 hurricane called Hurricane Ian. And if you remember anything about that hurricane, that was a hurricane that flattened everything in its path. So I called them to check up on them and see how everything was going. Now, the good news is that they decided to not stay in Cape Coral where they live. They were not going to ride the storm out. They decided to go to the east coast of Florida for a couple days, and then they waited until the storm was over to come back. 
but their neighbor didn't. Uh, their neighbor, who lived just a couple of doors down, he decided that he was, in fact, going to ride it out. He said, I'm going to stick with it throughout the entirety of the storm. And so when they got back a couple of days later, they checked on their house, everything was fine, but they needed to check on him too because they weren't sure how he fared. So they go down, they knock on his door, and he answers, and you could tell he hadn't slept in a number of days. I mean, he was absolutely wiped. His house had gotten beaten up by the storm. And so they asked him, they said, so how are you doing? And he said, I'm doing fine now, but this was by far the worst experience of my entire life. He said, I, I have never been so scared as I was during this storm because I thought I was going to be okay because I have those like uh, hurricane-grade windows and we, we battened down the hatches and we got all those like sandbags. And so I thought we were ready for this storm, but then it showed up and it was relentless. I mean, just all night long, the wind and the rain and the water was coming in. It was ridiculous. And he said three different times, he said, I thought we were about to lose our roof. It was the longest night of my life, he said. And the worst part about it is, I didn't know if I was going to make it out alive. I would imagine that every single one of us who has ever been through one of life's many storms, whether it be literal or it's figurative, knows exactly what that feels like. Because we've all been there before. Or if you haven't been there before, just wait, you will. Because that's kind of how life works. None of us get an exemption from this. All of us have to go through them at some point, at some point, all of us will receive that unwanted phone call, that unwanted email, that unexpected conversation that absolutely rocks our world. And in an instant, it's like the, the, the storm clouds have gathered around the boat of our lives, and we find ourselves hanging on for dear life. All of us, all of us have gone through the storms of life. And in my opinion, the thing that makes them so difficult, or at least frustrating in my opinion, is the fact that they're just so wildly unpredictable. I mean, I don't know how it has been for you, but any time that I've had to go through a storm in life, it's not because it decided to call ahead. You know, I didn't get a text message ahead of time saying, hey, is it okay if I stop by? Didn't want to catch you off guard. No, every time you go through one of these storms in life, they come up unexpectedly, unpredictably, and they leave you hanging on for dear life. I would imagine that that's exactly what the disciples were going through that night. They didn't see it coming. They would have waited if they knew that they were, there was a storm waiting for them in the middle of the Sea of Galilee. But instead they went. And there's wind and there's waves and there's water. And they don't know how long it's going to last. They have no idea if they're going to make it out alive. But then, Mark says, something interesting happens. 
Because all of a sudden, he says that Jesus, at the height of the storm, decides to perform what is the 11th miracle in the Gospel of Mark, Jesus walks on water. Now that in and of itself is an impressive feat. That is an impressive miracle to just behold for the disciples to see their Lord walking on water. That's pretty cool. But what I find even more interesting is what Mark tells us that Jesus was doing while he was walking on water. Because if you look at verse 48, Mark says that just before dawn, so probably about 6 o'clock in the morning, Jesus is walking on the water and he does what? He intended to pass them by. Now what on earth does that mean? I mean... What is Jesus thinking here? He intended to pass them by? What does he think this is? Some kind of like competition or a race? Was Jesus planning to just like jog on by? Hey boys, see you on the other side? Or, I mean, clearly they're in need of help. Clearly they need him more than anything. So why would Jesus intend to pass them by? Why wouldn't he stop and give them the help they need? To me, this is one of the most curious aspects of this story. And really, it doesn't even make sense why Jesus would intend to pass them by. That is until you remember what the term pass them by means in the Old Testament. Because if you go back to the Old Testament and you look through some of the ancient writings, one of the things you notice is that the term pass them by was used for one purpose and one purpose only, and it was to describe the presence of God. For instance, do you remember that story in 1 Kings 19 where, where, where the prophet Elijah has, has just been threatened by Queen Jezebel? She says, if I get a hold of you, I'm going to kill you. So he takes off from Mount Horeb, and he finds a cave, and he hides out in this cave, and he says, I'm not going anywhere near her. But then God shows up. Elijah hears the voice of God who calls him out to the mouth of the cave. He says, come and stand on the mountain. Why? For the Lord is about to pass by. Or in Exodus 33, uh, do you remember when Moses was having this conversation with God and he says to God, God, I want to see your glory. I know that's a big ask. I know that's not something that many humans have ever asked for before, but I want to see your glory. And so what does God do? Exodus 33 says, And God placed Moses in the cleft of a rock, and he covered his face, and the glory of the Lord passed him by. Throughout the Old Testament, the words, pass them by, meant one thing and one thing only. It was a description of the presence of God. And so for Mark, when he says that Jesus is walking on the water, intending to pass them by, that's not just a miracle story. No, that is a revelation of who Jesus is. In fact, when, when he passes them by and the, and the disciples think that he must be a ghost... Notice that the first thing Jesus does is he corrects their false assumption. He immediately dispels this kind of mistaken identity, and he says, no, 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 no. No, take heart. It is I. 
do not be afraid. Now that is a powerful statement from Jesus. For them to hear Jesus say to them, take heart, it is I, man. It's a powerful statement. But where it gets more powerful is when you realize that it can actually be translated in one other way. One other way of saying it is I is to say I am. Now what does that mean? When you go back to Exodus 3 and God and Moses are talking once again and Moses says to God, um, when the people ask me who you are, what do I tell them? What's, what's your name? Do you remember what God said? He said, I am. When you connect the biblical dots, you realize that what Jesus is saying to his disciples is, do you guys not realize who I am yet? Do you have no idea what my true identity is? Because I'm here to tell you, I'm not a miracle worker or a magician. I'm not just a a prophet or a preacher, a rabbi, or someone who's going to lead a rebellion. No, I am the very presence of God. Which means that I don't just walk on the waves. I created the waves, for I am God in human flesh. And so no matter what you're going through, you don't have to be afraid. I mean, no no matter what storm that life has thrown in your direction, no matter how fierce the wind and the waves are, there is nothing that you have to fear. And you know why? Because every storm you ever face will always be one thing. It will always be temporary. What Jesus says is, but my presence is permanent. No matter what storm you are facing, I will be with you always. So take heart. It is I. Do not be afraid. To me, that is one of the most powerful promises in all of Scripture. And yet, no matter how many times I hear it, the second that I start going through another storm in life, I need to be reminded of it again. Because there is nothing like remembering that God is with us even when life starts to get stormy. In fact, I've been reading a, a, a book recently by uh, a guy named Adam Hamilton, which I'm sure many of you know. But in this book, he tells a story about when his, his girls were younger. They were about five and seven years old at the time. He said, now, when my, my girls were younger, every now and then living out in Kansas, we would have these storms, fierce storms that would come blowing through in the middle of the night. And of course, they would get scared. And they'd get up out of their bed in the middle of the darkness, and they would run to our room. And of course, whose side of the bed do they come to? Dad. He said, I don't know why they wouldn't wake up their mother. Not even once, he said. Just once. Wake up your mother, not me. But instead, they came to Dad. And with tears rolling down their eyes, they'd say, Daddy, we're scared. He'd say, why? Because of the thunder. He said, so I did what the only thing that I knew how to do. He said, we had this little couch at the end of our bed. And so I'd go and I'd get blankets and pillows and, and, and I would set it up for them. And whichever of the two were were scared, I would lay them in the bed and I would just, I'd hold their hand. And I'd rub their head and 
I would pray with them, and I would sing to them, and it never failed that within a few minutes, they were fast asleep. Now here's what I want you to notice. Did he do anything to take away the storm? Did Adam Hamilton do anything to stop the rain or make the storm clouds disappear? No. Adam Hamilton, I didn't do anything to make the scary stuff go away. And yet somehow, knowing that I was there was all they needed. All they needed to know is that they weren't alone, that I was by their side, and somehow they weren't afraid anymore. Whatever storm you're going through this morning, I want you to remember, it will always be temporary. But the presence of God is permanent. And so whatever that thing is, whatever it is that you're facing today, or maybe it's tomorrow, or maybe there's something out on the horizon where you're thinking, this may not be good, whatever it is that you are facing this day. Whatever storm has come brewing up on the sea of your life, my prayer for you is that you would hear the words of Jesus, that you would hear his voice calling to you in the darkness. And this is what Jesus says. Take courage, for I am. So don't, do not be afraid. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen.